Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Oldest time of the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Friday, March 4th, 2022. Headline in the Chicago Sun-Times, my beloved bright one, delivered to my home every day. Uh, just to give you an idea what's in the news today. How about this one? Hitting below the belt? Question mark, bright one. Leader of an Italian-American group demands apology for Mayor Lori Lightfoot over crude remarks alleged in lawsuit. And that's right next to Madigan indictment against Spotlight's attempted abuse of automatic prerogative. We are not going to be talking about the, the alleged abusive things that uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, said to a city lawyer for the Park District. Uh, just telling you what's in the headlines. And I don't even know how much we're going to talk about Mad Dog. Uh, but uh, we'll see. I got other I got other things in my mind with my distinguished guests. So before we get started with the conversation, I'll ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. Ben, it's Dave McKinney. How are you? Doing well, young man. I'm doing very, very well. Uh, Dave McKinney is a little shy in telling you who he is. He's an ace investigative reporter for WBEZ. Uh, and uh, since the merger between BEZ and the Sun-Times, my beloved bright one, you can read him in the Sun-Times. Uh, as well. So shout out to both operations and one truly one of the best reporters in the city of Chicago. Uh, Dave, there's, I mean, I could, we could do a whole conversation about Michael Joseph Madigan. You uh, were many, one of the uh, many Be Easy reporters who relentlessly pursued that story. Uh, and as such, I got to promote this, Dave. April 5th, Tuesday, April 5th, you will be on stage with me and Maya Dukmasova and the great Elena Hampton at the hideout. Uh, to talk all things Madigan. I am really looking forward to that show, folks. Uh, tickets will go on sale real soon, so keep your eye out for that one. But we're here to talk about uh, the blockbuster investigation you wrote, in my humble opinion, a great story uh, about Kenneth Griffin, uh, who is probably the wealthiest man in the state of Illinois and is the main benefactor uh, to all to the Republican Party in Illinois, in particular to uh, gov- gubernatorial candidate Richard Irvin, uh, the mayor of Aurora. In uh, what I am saying is the inconsistency of his attitude about crime uh, in Chicago and firearms. That's my, me uh, sort of paraphrasing uh, this great article uh, that Dave McKinney wrote. That Well, I call it an article. It was in the Sun-Times' article. So, Dave, uh, before we get to Kenneth Griffin's response 
uh, to your article or to the issues you raise, why don't you just introduce folks to uh, sort of the general themes uh, that you touched upon in your investigation? Go ahead. Yeah, Ben. I mean, th- this is a story that that kind of begins back in in the fall of last year. Uh, Ken Griffin, who you know, the CEO and founder of Citadel, the the big hedge fund here based in Chicago, um, he he did a couple of interviews. One of which, uh, you, you know, he talked about being all in and defeating Governor Pritzker for reelection this year. But the one that I the, the the interview that I zeroed in on was one in which he he was going after Pritzker for. Uh, his response to the crime wave that has hit Chicago and Illinois over the last couple of years. And he called, Griffin called Pritzker a disgrace for basically, in Griffin's mind, not doing enough to mitigate the crime that is hitting all of our neighborhoods, the shootings, the carjackings, the homicides. And and so from there, uh, you know, I started poking around in the, the hedge fund itself and what it invests in and what, uh, what it's, uh, I guess you could say sister company that, that, uh, Griffin also owns Citadel securities, what holdings they have in gun and ammunition companies. And what we found was that in their most recent filing, they have about $87 million in holdings and investments in companies like Smith and Wesson and Sturm Ruger. Those are two big makers of handguns. Uh, and then uh, four other, three other uh, ammunition companies. And so, you know, we, we, we zeroed in on that. And then we also uh, kind of brought it back uh, to Chicago uh, through some documents we FOIA'd from the, the city police department. And, you know, I, I asked for five years worth of, of, of data on violent crime and the brand name of of firearms that were used to commit those crimes. And what we came away with was that one in four homicide uh, you know, weapons that were recovered in homicides, one in four were companies that Citadel, uh, had holdings in. And so that was the, the, the basic kind of crux of the story that you've got this guy hammering Pritzker on crime. The fact that, that, that Griffin's companies have holdings in these, uh, weapons and manufacture and, and ammunition manufacturers. And then you've got these weapons turning up in violent crimes here in Chicago. And uh, so what was sort of the general conclusion that you came to when you looked at all these, uh, uh, all these different uh, things you would have discovered? Well, I mean, the takeaway is that, you know, I think, you know, I, I mean, what, what we sort of set out to do was just to sort of have, have uh, Citadel and, and Mr. Griffin um, sort of explain this, you know, I mean, there, there certainly are critics out there. Uh, uh, Father Michael Flager being one of them, who who point to this as a as a big contradiction. Uh, uh, you know, Flager called called Griffin a hypocrite for for on one hand railing against the the you know the scourge of crime and and holding one man responsible for it, but yet himself uh, putting money and resources into companies that are manufacturing some of these weapons that are, are turning up in, in some of the worst crimes that are part of the crime wave that, that Pritzker is being blamed for. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at when I talk about the inconsistency of it. Uh, so it is free market capitalism at its best. Uh, when you invest in a company that manufactures pistols or guns, uh, that are used to shoot people. But of course it's a serious, uh, crime if someone shoots somebody uh and if you're 
going to be against murder in the street and mayhem in the street, you might want to get out of the business of, I don't know, making money off of weaponry. Uh, that is the point that Father Flager, Father Flager and I over the years, Dave, have not agreed on everything, but we, I'm just as me speaking, I agree with him on this point. Um, and so what uh, has, was Citadel's response uh, when you raised these issues with them? Well, I mean, Citadel, uh, they, they, they had a series of, of uh, responses here. I mean, the first is that um, they believe that ammunition companies shouldn't be included in this, in this look uh, that, that we did. They, they don't believe that uh, ammunition companies are germane to the, the, the crime wave that's, that's happening here. They, you know, they acknowledge that the gun companies that, that uh, make these weapons that turn up in Chicago crimes, well, those, those are germane. But, but that was point one. The other point is that, that you know, there, there are complexities about the way in which Griffin's businesses are set up. I mean, the hedge fund, which, which I think everyone can understand, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a uh, fund in which people invest to, to get money out of it. And, and, uh, you know, that's, that's one piece of the, of the Citadel empire. The other part, uh, is, is called a market maker. That's a company called Citadel Securities. And they, they're, they're, they're a, a company that, that, uh, you know, buys blocks of stocks in just about everything. And if you have a, a, an app on your phone, for example, with Charles Schwab or with Robinhood, and you want to place an order for, you know, 10 shares of AT&T stock, chances are that's being handled by Citadel Securities uh, on behalf of the company that you're going through on your phone. And Citadel's com- complaint, their issue is that they are compelled, they're obligated to be dealing in these securities, these gun and ammunition securities by virtue of being a market maker. And what we did in the story was reached out to several securities lawyers. You know, these are guys, uh, one, one from uh, uh, Columbia University, uh, uh, Professor Coffey, and then uh, from Duke University, Professor Cox. These are guys that wrote text, they, they've, they've written textbooks about securities law. They are some of the preeminent experts in the country about securities law. And, and uh, both of them say that this issue of, of Citadel being obligated to to deal in these securities is something they've never heard of. They're, they're not aware of any kind of, you know, regulatory rule or exchange rule, the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ, compelling Citadel to do this. And so that was really kind of the, the, the nut of, of, uh, of Citadel's response. Uh, they, they, they did not believe that this, uh, you know, that this was, uh, a, a story worth doing, frankly, they, they thought that it was, you know, I mean, as, as, as Mr. Griffin wrote in the Sun Times a few days after, uh, after the story Aaron published at WBEZ, I mean, he, 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 he laid out his thoughts why this wasn't a story. Well, well I'll get into his response and, uh, get your response to his response. I'm smiling at the thought of, of his response. Uh, it was a very cleverly crafted letter. So I have to give uh, Griffin or whoever wrote it uh, credit for writing a very cr- cleverly crafted letter. But uh, I think it gets at this issue and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Uh, and this is one of my uh, pet passions, uh, Dave McKinney. And it's the difference between a political response and a legitimate objective response to a problem. So we have a problem of crime in, uh, in Chicago, and we have a big problem with shooting. 
Uh, and there's many different factors that play uh, into the problem we have with shooting. One, quite clearly, is the proliferation of guns. There's just too many guns available in the city of Chicago, and people um, tend to settle their differences by shooting each other or shooting at each other. And that's a problem. It's been a problem for as long as I've lived in the city of Chicago. But when it comes to coming up with solutions, Dave McKinney, people tend to pick and choose their solutions uh, linked to their political ideologies. So it's not like there's a critical objective analysis of what's going on in the city of Chicago that leads to crime uh, in the streets. If you were talking to someone like Alden Lowry, your, your colleague at uh, BEZ, who is truly one of the most objective-minded thinkers I've ever had the pleasure of talking to, he would break down all these different factors and try to figure out what plays a role here. What what does joblessness, how does that play? Well, how does COVID play a role uh, in what's going on? How does lack of education play a role, poverty, et cetera, and so forth? Uh, when you get into the political arena, you just tear it off the objective hat and you just start issuing, what, talking points. And so I feel as though taking a look at the problem of crime in Chicago, blaming it on a politician like Pritzker or blaming it on a politician like uh, Lori Lightfoot or before her, Rahm Emanuel, is only one part of the larger problem. So uh, that is my general reaction to your story. Uh, do you agree or disagree with what I just said? Well, I mean, certainly, you know, that I, I think what your, your point about Alden, I mean, I, I have great respect for my colleague Alden. He's a great reporter. And, and it, it, it is a nuanced thing, certainly. I mean, there, uh, you, you can read about uh, the, the uh, prolifer pro proliferation of, uh, of gangs and, and what, what effect, you know, they have in, 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 in the crime that is the problem here, the shootings and everything. I mean, there, there are a million different reasons here and, and it's, uh, you know, what, what I think is, is, uh, you, you know, what I think that, that in blaming one person for this, um, you know, the state, the state doesn't really go into communities and tell them how to run their police departments. I mean, it's, it's, it's more of a local kind of decision about how big of a police department do you have? What, 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 you know, how does that police department function? How does it, how does it patrol streets? How many, what, what are the shifts? What, you, you know, they're just any number of things like that. And, uh, I think Griffin has, has chosen to single out Pritzker. I mean, the two of them have a, you know, pretty celebrated, um, back and forth going here where, uh, you know, Griffin put a lot of money in to try to defeat Pritzker in the 2018 election. I mean, he put, he put uh, you know, tens of millions of dollars behind Bruce Rauner. And then uh, two years later, uh, Griffin put in, you know, more than that. I mean, in the, in the ballpark of 50 million plus to defeat the graduated income tax amendment that Pritzker had championed. And now, uh, in this in this election cycle, uh, he has put twenty million dollars thus far into the campaign of of uh, Mayor Irvin, whom you referred to earlier in the program. So, I mean, they've got like you know you know there there's there, there's a lot of money going through the air here, and crime is kind of an it's a defining issue that I think uh, it's a defining issue that Republicans are trying to use against Democrats uh, up and down the ticket here, and so it's not a surprise to me that you would see someone like Griffin 
trying to tag Pritzker in this election cycle with with the, the crime problem. Yeah. And, and I should point out, we've had shows uh, dedicated to uh, the debate as to whether uh, you could hold uh, gun companies uh, uh, legally liable for the carnage uh, that comes from the products they manufacture. We've talked about this in relation to uh, Sandy Hook, the Sandy Hook case in Connecticut, uh, where uh, parents of survi- surviving parents uh, of children who were shot uh, at Sandy Hook have taken the gun manufacturer to court uh, and have been successful, uh, arguing that their marketing techniques uh, promoted the use of the gun uh, to people who wanted to use it to like show off their masculinity and show how tough they were, uh, and it led uh, to Sandy Hook. So this this issue that uh, guns you have to hold gun manufacturers and uh, presumably gun investors are responsible for the carnage that's caused by guns. It's not something that WBEZ is alone in raising, uh, Dave McKinney. Uh, This is very much uh, at the core of discussion and debate throughout the country um, as to what's a whether we can use such lawsuits to prevent such carnage. So you're kind of part of a larger your reporting, I should say, is part of just sort of a larger effort to look into this. Uh, do you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, for sure. And and I think you know the the you know beyond the the the, the uh, liability that gun companies might have in, in some of these cases. I mean, you you also have the the issue with uh, uh, you, you know this is an issue that that public pension systems across the country and and different states across the country have taken on. I mean, you can. You know, uh, you mentioned Sandy Hook. I mean, right after that happened, uh, the California Public Employees Retirement System, that's the nation's largest public pension system. They voted to divest of Smith & Wesson and Sturm Ruger stock. And uh, it it, it can sometimes be just merely a symbolic gesture, but one in which the the people behind it think that it's important to to send a message. Uh, There there have been uh, other efforts. I mean, New York City, uh, their pension systems, even here in Chicago, uh, a, a couple of the pension boards have, have also severed ties with firearm manufacturers. Um, you know, there was an effort back in 2013 that, uh, you know, it, it didn't get a lot of attention, but there was an effort uh, in the Illinois House to require the state's pension systems to not have uh, gun and ammunition holdings. And that went down to a, a pretty convincing defeat. So, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag, but, but there certainly is precedent for these pension systems to be pulling away from from this kind of thing. All right. Uh, Kenneth Griffin wrote a letter to the editor of the Sun-Times uh, in response to an editorial they wrote based on your story. I'm going to read the opening paragraph uh, of this uh, editorial and ask for your thoughts about this. So this is um, under the name of Kenneth Griffin. I, guess, I, I mean, I, I'm guessing he wrote it. Uh, Who knows who wrote it, but he signed it. Here we go. The Sun-Times recommends that we divest ourselves of any company that manufactures guns, hoping it will impair their future financial prospects. What the Sun-Times neglects to report is that about 40% of American households own a gun. My grandmother wrote about how she and her husband loved to go bird hunting together. In a much more depressing vein, People living in crime-ridden communities purchase guns for self-defense. Unlike the Sun-Times, I won't paint with a broad brush every gun owner or company that sells guns. What's your reaction to that opening paragraph? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it, 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 he, uh, um, you know, I think is trying to 
make what he thinks is a compelling case here to, uh, yeah, to, to justify their response. I mean, it, it, you know, we should note that, I mean, we reached out to, to, to Griffin himself a couple of times to, to ask for him to sit down and, and do an interview about all of this. And, and, uh, you know, one of the things that we were told by his, his press operation there was that, uh, Griffin doesn't have any kind of involvement in, in selecting securities that, that the hedge fund or the, the market maker side of business there that they're involved in. And so, you know, I thought it was especially important to try to make an effort, you know, after we brought this to his attention to try to, to understand more about what the, the thought process was in, you know, behind, behind it. And here, you know, in this letter where he talks about his grandmother and, and her husband bird hunting, we get, I guess, a little flavor of, of what was going on in Griffin's head about, about all of this. And, and, you know, certainly, uh, you know, he, he, this letter you talk about, he talks about, uh, not wanting to be part of cancel culture. Yes. <laughs> you hear that phrase all over the place. Yeah. And I'm not even sure I know what a cancel culture is. Maybe, and I probably have been canceled a few times in my life and I don't even know it, but like he, he doesn't want to be part of that. And, and so the, the letter itself, you know, I think certainly had I had it uh, going into the, the publication and airing of the story, I probably would, I would have used it. Yeah. But, but here he, uh, you know, he lays out his position, which, you know, doesn't, it, it doesn't put any stock in the argument that people like Flager uh, and, and uh, I, I quoted a, a professor at Northeastern Illinois University, uh, Lance Williams, who his, his father, Williams is a very interesting guy. I don't know, Ben, if you've ever had him on your show, but I mean, his father was a, a gang leader in the 50s and 60s. And he, Professor Williams is an expert on street, street violence. And, and both he and Flager say that there is a correlation between you know, putting financial resources behind these companies and the proliferation of guns in, in communities like, you know, we've seen here in Chicago. So, you know, Griffin, Griffin rejects the argument from, from those two, uh, you know, and, and, and tries to, to circle it back to cancel culture. Uh, I will get into the cancel culture a little bit, but let me just, uh, point out, this is me speaking, not Dave McKinney. Uh, Kenneth Griffin, that is a brilliant, what I call duck and dodge opening that with that with your mother your grandmother and the bird hunting everybody knows we're not talking about grandmother's bird hunting everybody knows we're not talking you bring your hide that's like this i'm going way back in time dave mckinney uh he's way before your time uh richard nixon when he was vice president of the united states he got caught uh in a compromising position involving investments forget the exact uh, accusation against him gave a speech where he started talking about his dog checkers <laughs> This is like a checker speech, man. Yes, yeah, talk exactly. About your, exactly. <laughs> your grandmother. Yeah. Everybody knows we're not talking about your grandmother. So leave yes. your poor grandmother out of this conversation, all right? <laughs> uh, and you're being too modest when you say you don't even know you're involved with cancel culture. We're not going to go down this road, but I'm going to tell you right now, folks, Dave McKinney was a victim of cancel culture. And this is me speaking, not him. And he came to the hideout back in 2015, I want to say. I remember it was when Mick, Mick was my partner in crime then. And uh, told the whole story. So I urge everybody just to Google it. Dave McKinney was a victim of what I call right-wing cancel culture. Uh, and he's came, he came out of it uh, pretty well. So good for you, Dave. I'm behind you 100%. But th this really irritates the hell of me. Quote, I will not embrace today's cancel culture. This is Ken Griffin writing in his letter. Nor engage in amateurish virtue signaling based on blind ideology. I prefer to engage on thoughtful policies that will make a difference in the lives of our citizens. 
I have consistently voiced my concerns about Chicago and Citadel's long-term place here in order to push our political leaders to prove the quality of life for Chicagoans. I care deeply about our city and state. I would just say this. Um, when, you, when you lump any kind of criticism that you get, you need to dismiss it uh, in an ad hominem attack calling it cancel culture and virtue signaling, which are themselves, what? What do they call that? Dog whistles to the right. You're not really engaging in a thoughtful policy discussion, I would say. I would say you're doing ad hominem attacks. And that's me speaking, not Dave McKinney. Um, so in general, what's your thoughts about, uh, Dave, when you're accused of uh, joining the mob, the woke mob? Uh, do, you, do you laugh it off or uh, do you get upset at one level? How, does it, how, do, how do you feel about that? Oh, uh, well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like, you know, offer my opinion about the letter itself, but I do have to say, and I, and, and perhaps maybe I'm not the most educated person around, but, but I, you know, this, this concept of virtue signaling, I have to tell you that I, I don't, I'm not even sure I know what that means to be honest with you. So, so, and, and, you know, I, I have a college degree. Uh, I've been, I've been reporting for a good number of years and virtue signaling. I, I it, it's a phrase that kind of means something to somebody somewhere. I don't really know what it means even. So, you know, take, take that what you will. But I mean, th this is, this is a thing where, uh, you know, the letter itself, uh, you know, it, it, what it did not address, I, I don't think, I didn't see any mention of it. Anyone in, anywhere here was the, the, the fact that, you, you know, when you look at, at, at uh, Smith and Wesson guns and Sturm Ruger guns and how, in the last five years in Chicago, one out of every four firearms that is recovered from homicides in the city of Chicago are made by those two companies. And those two companies are ones in which Citadel has invested or has holdings. And, and that is, you know, as, as the story says, uh, and it quotes, it quotes these academic experts, that is a choice that Citadel has chosen to make. And they're entitled as any American business is entitled to do. They're, they're entitled to make their own business decisions. And I don't, again, I, I'm not the one who brought up the, the term virtue signaling. I don't know what that has to do with virtue signaling, but uh, it, it's just, you know, th this is something that, that it's a data point that um, it, it merits scrutiny. It merits, it merits thought. And the letter itself, it, it didn't it didn't delve into how, you know, where those weapons came from, why they were out there in the first place, what ought to be done about it. Those, those are the things that I think an entire community is crying out for. Uh, you know, if, if you live like in my part of the city, I mean, it, it, we're, we're not unique where I'm at. I mean, you worry about going out and getting carjacked because somebody's putting a gun in your window. Um, where, where's that gun coming from? Who, who, what, what, what's behind that? And, and that, that is the very, very, very tip of the discussion about what ought to happen here. And, and it's got nothing to do with cancel culture or a, whatever a woke mob is or virtue signaling. I mean, I, I just, it's like, I don't even know what that stuff means, to be honest with you. It's, it's language that gets used all over the place, but I don't know what it means. So, well, I guess, uh, yeah, my, in my opinion, it's it's used to avoid a serious discussion and debate. So you just dismiss uh, whatever criticism somebody's uh, 
throwing at you without engaging in it and out without considering the merits of it. Uh, and here's another point I want to raise with you, and we, we'll get us an opportunity to close with a little discussion of Michael Joseph Madigan, because it's really hard uh, not to have a conversation with Dave McKinney on, uh, when this is the, the front page news about Madigan being indicted. Uh, when I was championing your article uh, on the show uh, several days ago, when, or whenever it was that it first came out, I was really singing your praise, uh, I got a text from someone or an email saying, uh, <laughs> well, BEZ is just picking on uh, Republicans. Along, that was along those lines. And I had a laugh, Dave McKinney, because uh, I know Danny Mialopoulos over, he comes on the show all the time, and uh, you guys have been digging up the dirt on Madigan, leading the charge in many ways. Uh, and I didn't hear any Republicans complaining when McKinney and Mialopoulos were are doing stories about Democratic corruption. Just want to say that. They will be extolling your virtues, okay? They'll be virtue signaling on your behalf uh, when, when you write a story about Michael Joseph Madigan. So I, I want to point that out. Uh, that's what reporters do uh, in a free society. Uh, ben, ben, I want you to explain to me, what, what, since I, I've thrown it out there, what is virtue signaling anyway? Well, uh, thank you. I no, I am uh, I am the MAGA. I'm laying it all out here, man. I'm, I I am I am I am showing my vulnerable side here. Yeah, there you go. I am the MAGA explainer. I translate. I'm a. Uh, we had uh, Gator Bradley on uh, at the hideout with us. He calls himself an urban translator. I'm a MAGA translator. It's uh, something I'm very proud of. So when MAGA says virtue shaming, uh, what they're doing is they're dismissing whatever points. Uh, their political opponents are making to insignificant attempts by their opponents to walk, to give a politically correct, and that's more MAGA statement, uh, worldview that they don't have to uh, engage. So, like, if you criticize, um, uh, what's her name, Green uh, from uh, Georgia, the state rep, uh, excuse me, the congresswoman uh, from um, Georgia for getting up at the House and uh, interrupting Joe Biden's uh, State of the Union speech with s some kind of invective, she would say, you're uh, virtue signaling. All you're doing is trying to tell your supporters that, that you're on their side. There's no, there's nothing, uh, there's no merit to the point you're making. There's not, nothing I have to engage at. They just use it a way to dismiss everything you say as just like some... Uh, political statement that you're reading, like almost like you're getting your orders from above. Uh, so it's like I started off by saying it's really hard, Dave, to have an honest discussion about these, uh, these very complicated issues that we presumably want to find a solution to if you're just going to dismiss the other side as just not even worthy of listening to. So I don't know if that helped you understand. But. Well, I feel like I've learned something. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Man, I can't believe I blanked on her name. I talk about her so much. Uh, <laughs> but but, but, but Ben, to your point, to your point, it's like, look, I, I mean, you have you have been around and covered politics and government for for decades. And I've done the same thing. And I, I don't know if you share in this this view, but like, I think for our for our democracy to work, you've got to have at least two strong political parties, because like you have the one in power, and then you need one that, that is a is a good check on the power. And and so, you know, it, it just I, I get a kick out of this idea that that sometimes gets gets uh, raised when when people don't like stories that, that, you know, the reporter has some sort of partisan view about things that that just is like 
you know, the the, re- the record speaks for itself. I think, as you point out, with with WBEZ, I mean, we're completely nonpartisan, and and you know, we have we have looked at Democrats, we have looked at Republicans, and 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 bent over backwards. I think to be fair to people, that's that that you know, that to me is the main thing. Bent over backwards to be fair to people, to not uh, do ambush uh, kind of stuff, and 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 uh, to not. Uh, you know, to, to, to give people time to, to respond to what we're asking about. I mean, there's just nothing, I, I don't, I don't understand the, uh, the, the partisan angle here, uh, on, on stuff like this, because, you know, again, like you point out, ComEd has been a, a story that has been, uh, you, you know, primarily almost entirely, I think a story that has hit at democratic power in Illinois. And, you know, it's, it's a story that's just as important more so probably. Because oh, Democrats are running things. Uh, yeah. Uh, now we're, uh, Dave's talking, obviously alluding uh, to the uh, Madigan scandal where uh, he allegedly uh, exchanged uh, jobs for his cronies for uh, favorable legislation that Commonwealth Edison wanted. Uh, that's one of the allegations that the feds uh, have lodged against him, and he claims he's innocent, so we'll see where it goes. Uh, you're absolutely correct. I'll give you a, a, an example that just popped out uh, that maybe um, uh, you're familiar with. I'm sure you are. Uh, our good friend Dan Malopoulos just wrote a story uh, where he talked about this memo. I think it was a memo uh, that Democrats had sent out uh, regarding talking points uh, in, in light of the Madigan uh, indictment. And it was just sort of, it was like a Trump type mem- uh, advice, you know, deny, uh, dis- uh, disrespect the feds, say it's all political. They didn't say witch hunt, but it came from that, uh, that Trump mentality. It was prepared by some Democrat. The Democrats said it was just a draft. They, uh, they wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, now, nah, it was great reporting by Danny to get that. But here, I'm going to give you an example. I, I'm allowed to speak my uh, views because I write. I'm a columnist. I'm a podcaster. That's what we do. So I want generally me. I am very scared. This is me speaking, not Dave McKinney. I'm very frightened uh, at the prospect of Trumpism taking over in this country. Uh, so there's a part of me that goes, "No, BZ, why are you putting that out there? That's going to hurt the Dems." But you got to put it out there because it was so freaking stupid. For them to even entertain that notion, you get what I'm saying? That I'm, on one hand, I'm glad. I'm glad Danny did it because maybe the Dems will learn from it, not be so dumb uh, with their suggestions. And uh, it also shows how uh, independent-minded Dan is. You get what I'm saying, Dave? So absolutely I see the value of independent press. And I'll go one step further I'm going to give it a shout-out one more time to Greg Pratt at the Tribune. Lori Lightfoot called him out by name in an uh, email. Don't give him any exclusives. I don't know if you saw that, Dave. Yeah, yeah uh, sure. And I told Greg it was a badge of honor to have, you know. Yeah. That's yeah. what a free press is all about. I'm going to get off my soapbox, uh, Dave McKinney. Um, but I, I, I really believe that, even if it irritates me at the time. I know there must have been stories. I know you, you don't want to admit it, but there must have been stories you read is somewhere that you go, oh, why would you have to write that? You know what I mean? But Well, I mean, this, you know, the, this, I, I would defer to Dan on, on you know, all of, I mean, Dan did the reporting on this piece. But, like, you know, I mean, 
you 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 could work for uh, you, you could be an employee at IBM or or pick your company and you're at, at whatever level you are maybe you're an entry level person and you do something that is so embarrassing it has repercu- repercussions for the entire company and that that's just the way it works i mean unfortunately big operations have to account for everybody in their operation and i i i think that you know if if this was a mistake that this stuff went out then it's an unfortunate mistake and you own up to it and and that's just the way it is i i mean i i've you know, I've, I've seen these kinds of things. I mean, they're, they're very common um, where, you know, the, the, these talking point memos that go out um, on, on just about pick your issue. It, it's a way to help, uh, you, you know, rank and file legislators or aldermen and women. Uh, it, it's a way to help them kind of advance whatever message their their caucus has. And I get that. This one, the language in, in, the, in whatever this was, the idea that that you know Republicans were making hay out of out of Madigan, and now the federal government has succumbed to that pressure. That line alone is what really stood out to me. Because I mean, if you, you've covered feds, I've covered feds. They don't uh, they they don't really succumb to pressure that I'm aware of, and and they they you know if they had their sights set on somebody, they're going to develop a body of evidence to support whatever comes out. And, and they believe in the case here of Madigan that they've got that. But, but you know, it's, it's a, I think what you saw in that document was a, you know, it, 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 was, it, was looking, you know, it was looking at this indictment purely through a defensive partisan way. And, 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 and whoever drafted it, whoever edited it, whoever approved it, you know, although those people all have egg in their face today and they, they have something to answer for. Yeah, absolutely, and they should have egg in their face because they look ridiculous doing it. All right, I'm going to close you uh, with this question for you. Uh, we'll go. We'll, we'll close with Madigan uh, and uh, give Kenneth Griffin a break for the moment. Um, so, interesting article, a column Mark Brown uh, wrote in the Sun Times about Madigan's indictment. I think it was Mark who wrote this, and uh, it, it began by saying he was starting not to. He was starting to wonder whether the indictment would ever come. Uh, and I remember having Dan on the show talking about uh, the investigation into Madigan. I'm, I want to say it was back in the old studio before COVID kicked us out, Dave. Uh, it was a long time ago is what I'm saying. It's been hanging around for a while. And I kind of, oh, maybe it was Eric Zorn. I may be mixing Eric Zorn with Mark Brown. I apologize. But whoever said it goes, I'd start, he started to think that it was, there was never going to come. The indictment was never going to come. Uh, did you have that view? Were you starting to think that the indictment would never uh come uh against michael madigan i no i didn't have that feeling i didn't have it at all actually because what what you know when that deferred prosecution agreement came out in the summer of 2020 where comed and and the federal government agreed to well comed agreed to stipulate to the facts that that the government was laying out in support of a bribery charge against the company in exchange for having that charge be um deferred essentially that, that if, if they, if they behave, if ComEd behaves for the next three years without engaging in any sort of this activity, then, then the, the, the charge goes away. When, you know, when you focused in on that timeline, three years, that was the period of time under which ComEd had pledged to cooperate in any kind of ongoing investigation that was happening. And that deferred prosecution agreement, I mean, I think I counted up 
if I'm not mistaken, I might be off here, but I, I, I thought I remembered that there were 72 references in that document to public official A. And when you have dozens of references to wh- whoever this public official A is, and we know it's Mad- Madigan now, of course, that demonstrates, you know, a laser focus on, on this person. And I think, you know, I, I think had this gone longer than that three-year period, had this deferred prosecution gone away, then I think legitimately everyone would be pretty convinced that there was not going to be any kind of, um, you know, they, they wouldn't go to the next rung of the ladder. But here they have gone to the next rung of the ladder. And, and it's going to be fascinating to watch how, how, um, how it proceeds because, you know, they, they have the, the, the comment for basically right now, you know, the former CEO of the company, Promisori, and, and John Hooker, the former executive, and Jay Doherty, and uh, uh, God, who am I blanking on? The, the, the uh, oh, Hooker. This happens when you get old. Hooker. Um, you, you know, so the, those folks are all up. Uh, they're scheduled to be on trial later this year. Oh, mm-hmm. McLean. Mike McLean is the oh, only one. Yeah. How could you forget Mike McLean? How could McClain? you forget Mike McLean? Yeah, we, we <laughs> had that moment with him uh, outside the, the Chicago Cuthouse. But so, uh, y- you know, I mean, they've got to get the feds have to, to get convictions in those cases. And, and you know, leading up to the trial, will any of those four um, flip? That's that's still an open question. And I think it was an interesting development. It didn't get a whole ton of coverage out of the Madigan indictment because that that really sucked the oxygen out of out of things. But they, there were other charges that got filed against McLean. And, you know, McLean has, has uh, there probably is no closer friend in the world to Michael Madigan than Mike McLean. And, and McLean ha- has said that he would you know, he's been asked to cooperate, but he would consider it a betrayal to himself to, to uh, you know, help the feds investigate Madigan. So will, will this added pressure on Madigan, or on uh, McLean, cause him to, to cooperate? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll know between now and, and when the, the trial starts in the fall. But then after that, after that, we have, you know, this whole situation with Madigan. And does, does this case drag out the same way that, that you know, the, the, the Burke prosecution has dragged out? Um, and and then ultimately, you know, could, could Madigan, if if there are convictions of these four people in the fall, can can Madigan logically assume that he would he would somehow win an acquittal? I mean, it's it, it just it's it's uh, it's judicial theater, unlike just about anything we've seen. And I'll add one more um, uh, little dimension to all this. Uh, we've had on this show several times Adolfo Mondragon. Uh, the maverick lawyer from the southwest side of Chicago, uh, who has taken Danny Solis to court, uh, alderman, former alderman Danny Solis, who wore the wire uh, that nailed Burke and now apparently uh, has contributed to Madigan's uh, legal problems. Uh, Danny Solis was using campaign contributions to pay his, uh, his lawyers, and Adolfo Mondragon took him uh, to court saying uh, that that's illegal and it shouldn't be allowed to happen. Uh, he's lost, Mondragon has lost, uh, Dave, on every level. But somehow or other, he's before the Supremes, the Illinois State Supreme Court. And I, 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 I don't think they're going to rule uh, in favor of Mondragon. That's just my belief, because maybe I'm just jaded from being around Chicago so long. Uh, Ann Burke, by the way, has recused herself, State Supreme Court. Uh, and, and Justice Tice has as well. Yeah, Justice Tice. Oh, you're following the story, too. But it would if they do rule with Mondragon on that one, that would hu- have a huge impact 
on both of these trials because part of the reason Ed Burke has been able to filibuster and stall and file all these motions and orders and stuff, Dave McKinney, is he has access to his campaign funds to pay his lawyers. And I'm sure Michael Madigan, I don't know how the exact amount he has in his campaign treasure chest, but I'm sure it's no insignificant amount. So that's a crucial aspect as well. You get what I'm saying? If if they cut off access to uh, campaign funds to pay the defense fees, well, it's, it's harder to mount a defense. Do you follow what I'm saying? Well, it's it, it's a really important. Uh, you're, you're right to, to to highlight it. It's a very important thing to watch because you know every time that we have a, a major scandal erupt in Illinois, with you know my 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 sort of point in time when I started paying close attention to all of this was back in the 1990s when there was a, 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 tri, a, a state contractor named Management Services of Illinois. And they were, they, they had gotten a bunch of contracts under the Jim Edgar administration. And, and that, that evolved into a big federal case downstate. And, you know, and, and, and what arose out of that, you know, there was some legitimate reform stuff that came out of it, basically that, you know, you can't, if you're a state worker, you can't, uh, you can't accept unlimited amounts of gifts from people and, and such. But usually what we see after these big scandals is sort of like token um, window dressing reform, basically. You know, there's nothing that really just comes out and, and addresses the problem head on. And, and you know, here, this, you know, if, if the court were to rule that campaign funds, if, if they were to clump legal expenses into the into the personal use prohibition, because you can't you can't now use your campaign funds to to put a swimming pool in your backyard, for example. If they put legal fees in criminal cases arising from, you know, a public official's duties, if they put that into personal use, that alone would be probably the single largest act of of ethics reform in Illinois that I can remember in almost you know, a quarter century of watching this or more than a quarter century of watching this, it would have a, it, it would almost definitely have an impact on people in positions of power and, and who have these big kind of political nest eggs sitting there and they know that they can dip into them to use, uh, you, you know, to pay lawyers. It, it might make someone think twice because, you know, it's just amazing to see the same kind of thing you know, the same kind of garden variety corruption occur in Illinois over and over and over and over again. And it's like, it's sort of like, I, I once had a guy from the FBI tell me, you know, there, there were, I was covering early in my reporting days, I was covering this couple. They were serial bank robbers out in the Northwest suburbs. And while, while the feds and everybody was looking for these people, this, this uh, FBI guy told me, you know, hey, we're going to catch them eventually because every single bank robber thinks that they are smarter than the last one who got caught. And, and it's that dimension here with with our politicians. You know, it, it just like they, they just don't get it sometimes where, you know, when this when, when this there's so much money and contracts and jobs and, you know, and, and the knowledge that, that we really have kind of a weakened um press corps in a way you know we don't have as many people watching these guys there there's just a natural temptation and i think that would be a you know that that's that that would be a very significant um development in the in the world of ethics reform in illinois if that were to happen but like you ben i'm, I'm skeptical that the court will rule this because you, you know it gets complicated when you have the, a, a number of justices already recusing themselves from from a case like this so you, you've got 
um, th- there's just a lot of uncertainty about how how the uh, uh, the partisan break on the court is gonna is gonna go on this. Yeah, it's not just a, a partisan break, but uh, I've thought a lot about this one, Dave. Uh, it's a personal thing. So Ann Burke is recusing herself, but if that if those justices rule uh, against Danny Solis in that case, effectively they would be burdening their colleague with a big legal defense bill. You could, you get what I'm saying? So it's, 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 there's a lot going on uh, there, but I like, I'm going to close by tying the two parts of our interview together. And the first part of the interview, we talked about uh, how these are all like backdoor ways to get people to do the right thing. So in the first part of the interview, we talked about how you could get gun manufacturers more involved with uh, the confronting the violence and death and tragic outcomes that their products that they manufacture have. We talked about that. And uh, maybe like the investors in those gun companies might want to think, you know, if we're held accountable for the uh, damage that our product makes, maybe we should think about how we could do a better job of making sure it doesn't land uh, in the hands of criminals. So it's like a backdoor way of getting uh, the violence uh, curtailed. Similarly, with Illinois uh, corruption, maybe the way to go is to cut off access to criminal defense funds, and that will be a deterrent uh, to um, uh, politicians uh, acting illegally. Uh, Dave, you, sometimes you got to go backdoor to get people to do the right thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, it's. I mean. You know the, the awful stuff that's going on in the Ukraine and, and and Russia. I mean, what are we what are we trying to do to try to confront Russia here? We're trying to cut cut off their financial lifeblood. You know, I mean that's that's the strategy. And you know, I, I, I there would be there would be a very direct effect here. I think in in a lot of these corruption cases, if you know somebody who winds up being charged on 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 some corruption count has to walk into court with a public defender and that's no knock against public defenders but but it, it it you know to not be able to go out and hire the best and brightest legal minds to represent you in in uh, in a case like this I think it would give people pause yeah and not just the best and brightest but like a ton of the best and brightest you know what I'm saying <laughs> like 10 yeah. lawyers working overtime yeah uh, all right, uh, Dave, it was great talking to you, and I'm going to promote our show one more time. If you really want to hear Dave McKinney do the deep dive on Madigan and the case against him and uh, how he uh, handled his position as speaker, and Elena Hampton, who uh, worked for the Madigan political organization uh, and really in many ways got the ball rolling uh, in investigations uh, into Madigan because she went public, a very courageous woman in my opinion, she went public with her own allegations of sexual harassment by some of her uh, colleagues in the Madigan political organization. If you want to learn a lot about this, come to the hideout. Tuesday, April 5th, first Tuesdays, Maya Dukmasavana and I will be... uh, uh, hosting the show, and uh, Dave McKinney and Elena Hampton will be our guests. Looking forward to that, Dave, and uh, thanks for doing this interview as well. Yeah, Ben, good talking to you. All right, that's the great Dave McKinney. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.